Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke to Satish Kumar. Satish Kumar is an Indian-British activist and editor. He's been a Jain monk, a nuclear disarmament advocate, pacifist, and is the current editor of Resurgence and Ecologist magazine, of which he's very proud and keen to talk about. This Satish Kumar, this dude in next level, I've got to tell you, he's an advanced elder. He speaks with wisdom, authority, compassion, and insight. He's met bloody Martin Luther King. He properly knows the score on Gandhi. He met Bertrand Russell. He did an incredible pilgrimage where he walked from India around the world with no money, him and his mate, didn't they? But what was the name of that book again? No Destination. Fantastic book. It's something I thought about for a long, long while before I even worked out that it was Satish Kumar years later. Anyway, he lives in England now. He's founder and director of programs at the Schumacher College International Centre for Ecological Studies and of the small school. The small school, I suppose, is about like sort of localised stuff. He was banging to that. He really loves Helena Norberg Hodge, another guest we've had on here. And I feel like this whole movement towards conscious agriculture, permaculture, localisation, decentralisation, along with uh, sort of retaining or somehow getting ownership of uh, necessary tech and communication industries is part of the revolution that I have long sought. Satish Kumar, important elder. His most notable accomplishment is the completion, together with a companion, E.P. Menon, a peace walk of over 8,000 miles from New Delhi to Moscow, Paris and London, Washington, D.C., the capitals of the world's earliest nuclear-armed countries. Beautiful book. Brilliant. He insists that reverence for nature should be at the heart of every political and social debate. In fact, he did some good quotes, didn't he? There was one bit where he said, uh, like, something like, nature is my religion. That was really beautiful. What about when he said something about activism? You can't be an activist without being an optimist. Go on, then. This is Demaya. You're from South Africa, are you? I'm from South Africa. You work for us. Jenny, you're obviously familiar with if you listen to this podcast, and uh, I apologise in advance and in retrospect. Oh, during the podcast, I hold up a special card now. It's my new technique. I'm so proud of it. I hold up a card that says quote on it or a quote that says clip on it. That's a quote that says clip on it. Oh, you're so pleased with yourself, aren't you, hermit crab? <laughs> You've come out of your little shell to have a little snip with your pinchers. <laughs> quote that says clip on it, was it? Is that what you're saying? I don't want to crab as a spirit animal. I want to be like you, Russell. No. Oh. No, you're like a toucan, I think. <laughs> you're like a toucan, I think. Why? I'm not the toucan. What measure, may I say, are you using your to dive... Your year. Huh? Your year of birth and your month and your day. I'm not having that. The technique... You're not a wolf. I look... It's a wolf. It's definitely not a wolf. <laughs> I am a wolf. Listen to this. Look how I sing hungry. Hungry like a wolf. You can hear the spirit in my voice. Oh, That's wolf. more toucan. That was nothing like a toucan. That was like a... <laughs> I don't want to hear a toucan with its colourful face and its big mad hatchet of a beak hanging out the front of it. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Look it up on evidence. <laughs> Toucan. Toucan player, that game, Jen. I'll tell you that much, mate. He's the author of Elegant Simplicity, The Art of Living Well, Soil Soul Society. You are, therefore I am. I read that. That's amazing. No destination. Look, he's written loads of books. You're a toucan. Show me that evidence. 
I want. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare hold that. Come in here, Jenny. Let's look at this together as friends. Let's see if we can find some You're common ground. And I'm not friendly or energetic. <laughs> You're friendly and energetic. How did you? That's not. The, listen, there must have been some mistake. Primals. Look, show me your means. Show me your working out like school. So 1975. Yeah. Between the 21st of May and the 21st of June. Well, the whole area is, must say is troubled, isn't it? Look, llamas, hedgehogs, toucan, turtles, angora rabbit, earthworms. Quite, who's decided this? Hold on, but look what happens here. Wolf. 74 between the 4th and the 20th. Look, a year earlier. Yeah, but you were born a year later. Yeah, but that could have been a clerical error. There could have been a clerical... Oh, look at that one. Rattlesnakes. Why do you want to be an aggressive sign? Oh, yeah. Why do I? Jackal. You're a toucan. A jellyfish. So, hey, guys, if you were born in 1977, between the uh, 23rd of August and the 22nd of September, I've got news for you, baby. You're a jellyfish. Get used to it. <laughs> these are good, these, aren't they? What, what about you, then? A hermit crab. Oh, yeah. Ugh, wretched. Demai, you might want to look up what you are. Okay, so, um, all right, sorry, we got sidetracked there. Now, when we've actually got a very important episode of Satish Kumar, one of the great elders, a brilliant teacher, full of holy, holy wisdom, a wonderful man. He warmed my heart. I felt educated, and I'm going to actually go and visit him, and he said I can stay in the spare room. Do you think I can bring my children? No. Oh, what, why not? Because I'm a toucan. Because <laughs> I'm a big beak. <laughs> Oh my god, that big big toucan! <laughs> yeah. I can't not bring the children. I Why? look after them. They're my friends. Is it because they. <laughs> it might it be what? good for you. To be separate from them? Yeah. No, I can't do it. I miss them too much. No, I can't be away from my wife and my kids. Loves them too much. The Resurgence Trust, of which, I can't believe we still haven't done this intro. I'm blaming both of you of which Satish's Editor Emeritus is an environmental educational charity. So look, listen, go to www.resurgence.org and check it out. The charity's Festival of Wellbeing is taking place on the 31st of October with lots of well-known speakers. It's a good thing. Resurgence is a good thing. Satish Kumar is a glorious individual. No, respect him and I honour you, sir. Also, they're holding an online auction between 12th of November and 3rd of December. So go to resurgencetrustauction.com and learn all about it. Now, before we get into this wonderful podcast with Satish, can we, after we've sidetracked you with spirit animals and all sorts of silliness, let's listen to some of the comments that you made about our wonderful podcast with the wonderful uh, uh, Yousef Cat Stevens. Thoroughly enjoyed this interview, says Gulkan underscore AKN4. Great partnership, pure souls. I'm talking, of course, about Yousef and Russell. Wretched to hear that Jenny character one wonders if there isn't a women's prison somewhere what? with a cell for her. Well, thank you, Gulkan. No, she didn't say that last bit, but I sensed it in the subtext. Russell Timsar goes, You are one hell of a sophisticated and eloquent man. Complexity in all your dialogue, yet so easy to understand. That is an art and a skill. Great discussion. Cat Stevens, what a legend. Thanks, darling. Mary Kane, so interesting. Thank you, Russell, for continuing to bring such thoughtful spiritual discussions to us all. So helpful. I love you. Thank you. Cats, five dogs. This was fantastic. I learned something today about another religion. And as usual, Yousef, Yousef Cat Stevens was interesting and sincere. He sent me a book. 
I've not read it yet, but I will. Sign up to our mailing list, will ya? Is go to russellbrand.com, sign up for it. You get exclusive access to these Zoom calls. I charge five quid. We give it to a charity. Usually, it's something to do with drugs or poverty or whatever. You'll love it. They're good, aren't they, Demaya? Like, what did I do? I talk about stuff. I answer people's questions. I joke around. I get all intense. It's intimate and interactive. Oh my god, it's intimate and interactive. That's a slogan. When are you going to come up with a slogan other than "I'm not a dog"? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things out of context in this intro. Are there? They're from the previous, previous intro. Christ, the whole thing's out. Let's get into Satish Kumar and see if his wisdom, uh, uh, clarity, serenity, and grace can um, can somehow balance this rhubarb. Oh, also, what about the end of a prayer? That's beautiful. Let's check it out. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a successful route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the skin. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Uh, How lovely to see you. You look beautiful. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, um, um, good to have you uh, have uh, at least on the screen, virtual seeing. Maybe yes. one day, uh, when the COVID crisis is over, we should have a face-to-face conversation. I would love that. I would love to have intimate physical contact with you. You look uh, so well. I really, I would enjoy very much to be in your company. Thank you. I'm 84. Well, you look magnificent. <laughs> um, but I'm in good spirit and good health. I watched your interview with the Helena Norberg Hodge a, a few oh. weeks ago. A long interview. That was very nice. Oh, thank you. I, uh, she's a wonderful woman. Wonderful woman. Yeah, yeah. So we were discussing whether she and you could do a, a talk together sometimes in the next year for resurgence. Oh, yes. Uh, well, I would, I would happily help you. What, uh, what are your uh, intentions with resurgence? The resurgence Trust, uh, Resurgence Magazine, was started in 1966 uh, with a group of people, uh, particularly somebody called John Papworth, who has recently passed away. Uh, but uh, with him, there were a group of people who were working with him, like E.F. Schumacher, who wrote Small is Beautiful. He was part of Resurgence. And, and John Seymour, who was uh, promoting self-sufficiency, he was part of uh, Resurgence. So 1966, we thought that peace with nature and peace with people should be brought together. And so that was the intention. And particularly Schumacher's idea of small is beautiful, small scale economy, small scale business, small scale communities, all those small scale human scale where humanity and, and, and relationship are more important uh, and, and the caring for the nature is more important than just profit and, and economic growth and, uh, and the production and consumption and all those sort of things. So that was the idea behind resurgence. And so later, uh, came Teddy Goldsmith, and he started something called The Ecologist in 1970. And so when he passed away, in due course, 
in about a few years ago, resurgence and ecologists came together. And so now the magazine is called Resurgence and Ecologist. And we also run um, a website called The Ecologist website. And so Resurgence is now a charity, Resurgence Trust, and we organize um, events. So every month we have a Resurgence talk. And, uh, and then every year we have an annual uh, Resurgence Festival of Wellbeing. And also in North Devon, Heartland, we have a resurgence center where I'm sitting now. This is a resurgence center, which was an old chapel, Methodist chapel, uh, which is now converted to resurgence center. And we have a small garden and we have a little cottage nearby. So it's a resurgence office, a resurgence headquarters. So we also run some courses here. So this is a kind of resurgence uh, kind of organization. I understand. Satish, when you began your activism if i may use the term activism with your now famous and still inspiring peace walk the world must have seemed like a very different place even though you deal with universal ideas such as awakening and unity and togetherness have you seen them these ideas change during the time that you have been involved with activism and do you feel more optimistic or less optimistic than you than you did when you began in the 60s and when you were meeting Bertrand Russell and all the great people that you met during that uh, initial experience with sort of Western activism and the peace movement? I feel more optimistic because when I was walking around the world for peace, this was a kind of still very strong desire for more economic growth more kind of industrial development, more materialistic progress, more consumerism, more um, kind of materialism was very strong and still on the rise. And at that time, people were not so aware of uh, renewable energy. People were not so aware of our food and, and how we should um, have a healthy food. And so awareness about environment was very little at that time. It was the height of Cold War. And so peace and nuclear disarmament was a very strong, but the environmental and spiritual ideas were not so strong. Now, climate change and, uh, and the ecological awareness has become much stronger. And if you take the examples like Greta Thunberg um, and, and uh, hundreds of thousands of young people, boys and girls around the world, uh, raising their voice. That gives me great optimism. And even older people like David Attenborough uh, raising the voice about the environment and about human values and spiritual values. So now I am in a way uh, more optimistic that things are changing. And now we are one third of our energy is coming from renewable sources. That is a very uh, big change between when I was walking around the world. And so I feel optimistic. Thank you. Satish, when you met Bertrand Russell, you said something to him that I think about a great deal because he was heavily involved in the campaign for nuclear disarmament. And you said there is no point abolishing nuclear weapons unless you change the mentality that creates them. Otherwise, you will just continue in a cycle of the creation of uh, you know, comparable weapons. And, uh, and I, I very much enjoy quoting you back to yourself. And I would say... 
Do you not feel that the underlying mentality behind capitalism and our economies needs to alter? Even if we are seeing a, a rise in the use of renewable energies, it's usually with the proviso that they make economic sense. Uh, are you confident that cultures can change? And another question, and it might be I, I was about to say, I was about to say somewhat foolishly that oh, as an Indian man, you may not uh, uh, understand much about British class system. But of course, you'll have a deep knowledge of caste. And, you know, when you cite the David Attenborough and the Greta Thunberg stuff, uh, it seems to me when I am observing media that these are in a sense regarded as the preserve of the privileged. Ordinary working people, I sense, feel somewhat detached from this aspect of the movement that it feels somehow a kind of a bourgeois pursuit even though it could not be more global how i wonder are we to find true unity and how are we you know amongst all, all aspects of our society whatever caste or class we are from and how are we to change this underlying consciousness please um as you mentioned Bertrand russell in the start of your question. Uh, and uh, at that time, I said to Bertrand Russell that peace is not simply the absence of war. Hmm. Peace begins with your heart, peace within yourself, peace of mind, and, uh, and also peaceful society, our economic relationship and capitalism. So all the ideas you just mentioned um, I mentioned those things to Button Russell, and I said, unless you have a, a more egalitarian, more communal, and a more kind of human basis, and our aims and goals are not simply materialistic and economic, but more human and more spiritual, uh, there cannot be peace in the world. At this, at this time, as you say, that uh, these intellectual ideas may be coming from the elite, upper class, privileged class, but the working class, peasants, farmers, people living in the villages in India or in Africa and indigenous people, people who are not so elite and privileged, they are already very close to nature. They're already living very simple life. Their impact on the environment is very low in comparison to the privileged, um, elite, um, rich, wealthy, uh, intellectuals and, and capitalist society. And so I would say that more change and more transformation is needed among the elite intellectual um, privileged classes, uh, upper caste in India and upper classes in Europe and America, because we are responsible for so much damage to planet Earth. And we are also responsible for maintaining this um, uh, inequality and, and capitalist, materialist, consumerist uh, culture. We are responsible, the elite, the, the privilege you talked about. So we need to change first. We don't have to say, oh, but working class not speaking with us. They are behind. No, they are already near the land. They are already working with their hands. We sit and intellectualize and write books and, and speak about it. But the working people are actually living good life. So it's a privileged and the intellectual class and the and the, the upper castes and upper classes need to transform themselves. 
thank you. Satish, do you see much appetite among the elite intellectual classes that operate in professional circles and within media? Do you see much appetite for real change? Do you see much yearning for true spirituality uh, in terms of asceticism, surrendering attachment to material objects, willingness to embrace a different rhythm of life? different kind of systems or do you think that much of the ideology is still underscored with a, an attachment to comfort and a kind of conservatism that can be allied to the green movement because you know let's conserve the planet so we can continue to be privileged on it but there is no legitimate real will for sacrifice yes um picture the mixed because we cannot say uh black and white picture is not black and white picture is mixed there is a tremendous appetite among the intelligent intellectual privileged and uh, and uh, well-off comfortable society there are millions of people around the world in america in europe in china in india everywhere there are people who are engaged and who are working for um, a better society in one way or the other. So the activism and the kind of awareness is quite strong and rising. So I would say glass is half full rather than half empty. Of course, it is half empty as well. Uh, truth is not black and white, but it gives me optimism that there are a rising number of people coming out um, and, and speaking, and even somebody like David Attenborough, speaking about extinction and speaking about the environment and spiritual values. And so I would say that picture is mixed, but we activists have to work harder to communicate these ideas. And you are doing that uh, through this podcast and many other podcasts that you are doing. You have a big following. And there are many, many people like yourself, uh, like Helena Noble-Hodge, Vandana Shiva, and many, um, if you put all together the membership of the environmental organizations like Friends of the Earth, Greenpeace, WWF, um, all the organizations, National Trust, who are looking for spiritual and ecological and environmental and regenerative economy and regenerative culture, membership is huge. So we don't have to be pessimistic and only look at the negative picture. We have to look at the positive picture and be inspired and be enthusiastic and make it bigger and more impactful so that we can create a new world, we can create a new society. Because at the moment, our society thinks that nature is out there only as a resource for the economy. How we can make more profit from nature? This has to change. And we have to say that nature is not only a resource for the economy, nature is a source of life itself. Unless we live carefully with nature and look after our nature, global warming, this fire in, in California at the moment, fire in Australia last year, all these things are reminding us and COVID crisis is reminding us, this is the voice of the earth, that we have to change our economy. At the moment, our economy has become the dominant power and we have to change that. So I would say, if, if to be an activist, you have to be an optimist. If you are a pessimist, you cannot be an activist. And so for me, as I'm an activist, I am an optimist. For a pessimist, you can be a journalist, but not an activist. So I cannot just look at the dark side, negative side, 
um, and, and be despondent and be kind of disheartened and not do anything. I see the positive side and I act and act. Now I'm 84 and I started acting at age 18 and I have acted all my life and up to the last breath of life, I'm going to remain active. So acting <laughs> requires optimism. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This movement necessarily must be international at a time where many countries, whether it's India, the United States, or this country, are leaning into a kind of anachronistic nationalism, kind of, in some cases, ethno-nationalism. I wonder, Satish, how we build a sense of community on a global level to tackle these global issues and to create the necessary leverage to confront the interests of the powerful. The promotion of the economy, of course, is not an accident. It is a representation of the interests of the people that operate these dominant structures. I wonder how we mobilize at a global level when so many of the solutions that um, that you allude to and have over the course of your um, journey in activism extolled are about localization and 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 uh, social systems that mirror our anthropological origins uh, and are therefore more harmonic how do how how, how do these uh, ideas synergize satish yes um the reason that we have this kind of populism and and right-wing nationalism and narrow thinking is because before that the the liberal economy and the liberal rulers um uh, in america or in india or in europe they did not come up to the solutions. Uh, the, 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 before this right-wing nationalism and populism emerged in India or America or in Europe, before that, there was kind of social democratic, democratic systems, there were more liberal systems, but they did not come up with real solutions. Even at that time, the, the poverty uh, was um, intensifying and the gap between the rich and poor was increasing and the spiritual values were decreasing and the environmental values were decreasing. So it's the failure of the uh, so-called left-wing and so-called liberal and so-called uh, kind, of, um, uh, kind of social uh, democracy and all that is a failure of their work that this left and also under the uh, rule of uh, liberal, more left-wing, more socialist uh, uh, rulers, globalization and under the name of globalization uh, people millions of people were left behind so we cannot just blame uh, this right-wing populism on right-wing populists we also have to take responsibility upon ourselves that what did we do wrong that we gave birth to i mean there, in india there was a congress party for a long long time ruling but what did we achieve the poverty was intensifying the the climate change was uh, happening so it's a failure of the liberal values and liberal systems and liberal governments that gave rise to this narrow nationalistic view. So now our work, people like yourself and myself and people who are believing in lo think locally, sorry, think globally, act locally. So our mind should be global. Our heart should be big. 
we should have we should think about one humanity one earth one future we are one united but our feet are on the ground our economy is local our our communities are local and our food is local and our crafts and arts and music they have a local flavor and local taste and local color so unless this balance between the global and local we can achieve so what we are talking about is not left wing a uh, social democracy type of ideas liberal ideas and not populist and uh, nationalistic narrow thinking ideas but a step forward and we are saying that think globally act locally one humanity one earth one future but rooted in local community local economy art craft music rather than this materialistic consumerist culture so our work is is not going back to liberal democracy and a kind of left wing uh, socialist uh, centralized globalized economy our view is much further it's it's not left it's not right it's a forward <laughs> the, um to bring about this radical change do you think it will require cataclysm even greater than the cataclysms that we are currently experiencing radical confrontation possibly of a kind of uh, like almost militaristic certainly militant nature or do you think it is in the establishment of adjacent local economies and and if these ideas become truly popular if these ideas are spread and start to present a challenge to the dominant culture do you can you imagine what the outcome might be of that there's likely i think to be some kind of um, assertion of dominance and an attempt to control it in fact i think these ideas are even managed and controlled and represented badly on a broad level now my i'm a spiritual person so i do not envision such confrontation <laughs> i as an activist will become like sugar like sugar melts in milk and make sweet so we the non violent spiritual activists will melt like sugar in the society and make the society sweet and transform the capitalist uh, centralized consumerist materialist culture into a more humane culture and more ecological culture and more spiritual culture this is our work i don't envision a confrontational violent um, uh, kind of order and and whenever there is violence coming i will believe like mahatma gandhi martin luther king vandana uh, uh, shiva mother teresa um, helen noble hodge all these people are setting a good example for us to remain non violent and be like a sugar and melt in society and make the bitter society into a sweet society or a bland society into a sweet society that is our work that's a spiritual work and it is a journey the transformation of society is not a final outcome where we can say this is a perfect society no there is no such thing as a perfect society transformation is a lifelong journey and our activism is its own reward it has intrinsic value even if we don't achieve absolute perfection in society still we continue to work like the buddha continued to work even though he did not achieve a completely compassionate society jesus christ did not achieve the kingdom of heaven on earth but yet he worked um, for until his life and gave his life mahatma gandhi um, lao tzu um, all the great 
teachers and poets and musicians and and, uh, and and philosophers they have worked to create make a society better and better and better and our work is in the same path we are not saying that we can arrive at a situation where, where everything will be perfect and and no problem no violence no destruction because this is not human we are made of negative and positive but we have to strike a balance between the two so it is a lifelong journey of transformation how have you conducted that uh, process yourself what is your personal spiritual practice how do you combat your own uh, egoic and primal uh, nature in my own personal life and in my heart i would say that equanimity is my spiritual practice good bad and go beyond that like rumi poet sufi poet rumi said there's a field beyond right and wrong i meet you there so we don't get caught in this negative positive right wrong you are wrong i'm right blaming somebody else that is not my path my path is to say how can we rise and transcend this dualism this separation of good and bad and how can we go where things are just right neither good nor bad but just right so that's a kind of equanimity and that's a kind of balance that i strike in my personal life then nature is source of my spirituality nature is my religion when i am walking by the sea when i am sitting under a tree when i'm watching the birds when i lie down on the grass uh, on on the bank of a river or or on the cliffs or a, or a rock uh, by the sea i feel totally at ease in the lap of mother earth and in the lap of the universe so for my spirituality comes from nature but of course i have been uh, kind of brought up in jain tradition and i have learned about buddhist tradition i uh, take meditation very seriously and i think every day we should prepare ourselves uh, for the day uh, with compassion kindness generosity all these values i develop in my heart and every day i meditate and i serve without reward i am a servant of the mother earth i am a servant of uh, of people and i do my best in the service and in the well-being of the planet earth and well-being of people and if i don't get anything back i say i should do better serve 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 that's my motto i'm not saying you are bad you must change because i tell you to change i say i help you to be who you are so it's a kind of spiritual approach is not so blaming and judging other people but spiritual approach is to being transformative and being changed through love and service so i meditate and i live closely to land i have a garden and i i believe that ordinary daily things doing like gardening and cooking and 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 being in a daily life ordinary life living ordinary life spiritually because as i say spirituality is not in the books spirituality is not in the ch church or temple spirituality is not uh, in words spirituality in everyday life every action you do if you cook with love you are a spiritual cook if you garden with the love you are a spiritual gardener if you build a house with love in the service of people then you are a spiritual builder 
every ordinary activity has to be transformed into a spiritual activity, an ecological activity. For me, spirituality and ecology also go together. So when we are treading lightly on the earth and living simply, elegant simplicity and, and kindly, then that's spirituality. Spirituality is not something otherworldly that, um, uh, that we, we have to think about. Spirituality in every moment of life. So like an artist, we have to be an artist of life. And everything we do, with, do with love. Whatever you do, do with love. And, and whatever you are doing, love it. So the moment you put love and compassion and kindness in your work, in your daily life, that's for me spirituality. How do we convey this to people that live within the many ecological and materialistic traps that govern what I might call the best way life. to communicate is by example. Mahatma Gandhi said to be the change that you want to see in the world. So example is the best way. So being ourselves, words only have power and strength when they are backed by example. So First and foremost, we have to be the change we want to see in the world. Example. Second, we have to communicate. And that's what, um, what we are doing now. We are trying to communicate these ideas through words, through poetry, through music. John Lennon communicated his ideas through music. And Picasso painted Guernica uh, to promote the work of peace. And, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, so through dance, through music, through poetry, through uh, and also ordinary work like gardening and cooking. So we communicate our ideas in a gentle and a very humble way without arrogance. So be the change, communicate the change. That's the second step. And the third step is organize the change. We should support people like Friends of the Earth or Greenpeace or WWF or uh, Greta Thunberg's uh, strike, uh, uh, strike uh, for the future or Friday for the Future, or Extinction Rebellion, or Helena Noble Hodges work for local economy, and people are working for organic farming, and people are who are working for agroecology, and people are working for uh, sustainability, supporting uh, wildlife, and supporting the, uh, this, uh, supporting the um, protection of rainforest. All these organizations around the world, and there are thousands of organizations, we should support them, organize this change. So be the change, communicate the change, and organize the change. These are the three ways in order to transform society. Wow. Um, Satish, with some of these examples of great people that you have cited over the course of our conversation, some of whom I know you have uh, met and communicate with intimately have you noticed that in some of the most prominent vocal public visible aspects of i would say the leftist activist movement there is a tendency towards iconoclasm uh, and the destruction of some of these heroic figures or if not destruction the dismantling the deconstruction including mahatma gandhi certainly john lennon certainly picasso even mother Teresa, where there's a sort of a focus on the ah oh, but they did this ah oh, but mahatma gandhi did that ah oh, john lennon and did this a kind of tendency to 
deconstruct and I would say sort of annihilate the positive aspects of some of these great icons of counterculture and of activism in order to achieve a sort of what I, it seems to me to be a kind of an unattainable new Puritanism? No, I think that's a, a mistaken, mistaken um, a view of the so-called radical left. Uh, because uh, people you have cited and I have cited, I have met like Martin Luther King, I met, and he was a great activist and he was not a wishy-washy, flaky um, uh, person. So what, he, what is good in these sort of examples, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and people of that nature, they don't, they have not just protested and spoken against something. They protest, of course. Mahatma Gandhi protested against colonialism and imperialism. Martin Luther King protested against uh, uh, racialism. But protesting is only one way, but not the complete way. After protesting, at the same time while we are protesting, during that time, we also need to protect. Protect what is good in society. So we have to protect biodiversity. We have to protect um, traditional uh, in indigenous wisdom and indigenous cultures. We have to protect um, our rainforest. We have to protect beauty. We have to protect uh, um, uh, spirituality. So protecting was the great work of people like Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King and all the people of that nature who ha are, have fought against injustice, social injustice, environmental injustice. But also at the same time, they have also protected the just order and the, the local economies and local communities and many good things. So protecting beauty and goodness and truth is as important as protesting against the unjust order. And the third thing they did, which lots of these left-wing intellectuals forget, that they built alternatives. They did, just didn't say no, no, no to wrong things like racialism and imperialism and colonialism and industrialism. They also said yes to positive things, new things. They built new communities, new schools, new um, colleges. I started Schumacher College, so create a new alternative education and uh, a, a new way of industry, new way of uh, kind of uh, uh, Mahatma Gandhi started a spinning wheel and new architecture. So building new alternative to show that what is something which can be without pollution, without waste, without drudgery, without exploitation, without um, uh, inequality, you can create a better society. So setting those examples, if you put these three things together, protest, protect, and build. Then it's a complete and holistic movement. But just the political analysis of the left intellectuals or a kind of just a, um, kind of dismissing all the great things that uh, our ancestor activists have done, I don't agree with that. Yes, because it seems to me that two of the most important constituencies for any successful movement would be the kind of emergent social justice movement who I get a sense would focus on the fact that Martin Luther King had extramarital affairs and ordinary working class people who feel a very long way away from the objectives of this new social justice movement. I feel like unless there is a coalescence between the kind of people that are drawn to nationalism and populism 
and the kind of people that are drawn to social justice, identitarian politics. Unless there is an alliance built around, as you say, the kind of focus on positivity and alternatives and an acceptance of human fallibility and frailty, uh, an acceptance that even great people of the past were humans. And as you have said earlier in our conversation, Satish, a composite of positivity and negativity as the laws of physics would surely demand. Unless these ideas can somehow be embraced, mobilized and uh, congruent in spite of their superficial uh, opposition, there's very little chance of mobilization. And I I wonder, is actually the question that is most on my mind is how to achieve this kind of unity rather than focusing on this opposition. Now, uh, social justice movement, I totally agree with you, is very important. Uh, and social justice movement uh, has to be rooted in environmental justice movement. So that is two sides of the same coin, because you cannot have an unjust um, relationship with the environment and an and, uh, unhealthy planet and a sick planet. You cannot have a healthy society and a just society. So environmental justice and social justice are two sides of the same coin. But at the same time, if we do not have spiritual uh, foundation and, and a spiritual rootedness, then social justice movement will remain skin deep and superficial and, and just organizational and just institutional and just the kind of uh, systemic, uh, but not deep enough. It's a superficial system. And so I would say, uh, yes, uh, social justice, I totally agree with you. We need a social justice movement and there are lots of social justice movements there and we need to support them, but that should be balanced with environmental justice. And those two justice movements, environmental and social justice movement should be complemented with spiritual um, awakening and spiritual practice and living um, example of that has to be there. So I would say without spiritual environment, spiritual dimension, and spiritual values of compassion, of kindness, of simplicity, of generosity, of love, of, uh, of uh, respect, of reverence for life, and respect reverence for each other. At the moment, even social justice movement, particularly the socialist and, and the kind of left-wing movement, they have only focused on um, uh, human justice, but their aim of industrialism, production, economic growth, um, consumption, that is not they have not challenged that. They, mm -hmm. are, they are as industrialists, as capitalists. They are as supportive of consumerism and materialism and, and production and consumption as capitalists. So we need to change that. And we have to say production and consumption should be within the limit of the planet Earth. And production and consumption and economic growth should be in the service of humanity and not uh, its own goal. So the end and means have become confused. Our end should be human well-being and planetary well-being. And the means should be money and economy and, and, and a kind of industry and, and production. But at the moment, the end goal has become the production, consumption, economic growth, materialism, and means are nature and humans. So we are treating humans as if they were tools, they were instruments of making profit. If you are not making profit for a company, you are sacked. <laughs> and so turning human beings and turning nature into tools and instruments of profit and economic growth is the basic uh, problem which I think left wing 
uh, and liberal uh, people and, uh, and, and so on have not quite understood. Uh, so social justice movement has to be rooted in environmental justice and spiritual values. Then social justice movement will be strong and, and holistic. That's beautiful. I'd never thought of it in those terms that in a sense that the movement is in a, a way just a progression of the individualism that preceded it with a fixation on the rights of the individual, the role of the individual, whereas environmentalism it, it imposes upon you a holistic and spiritual ideal that helps you to uh, perform or achieve the necessary transcendence of your individual infatuation, your partialness to yourself, which is the root of the problem in so many ways, which makes us it makes it possible for us to be um, used by the machine in this way because we are all wed to our individual identity. We are all aligned to these principles. When enough people regard the environment and the whole as more significant than their own individual goals, then we become less in tune with the frequencies of the dominant culture. I see we cannot have social justice without environmental justice. We can't have justice for any individuals until we behave justly to the planet upon which we live, our host system, our parent system, our family system, our mother. That's cool. And what you have just said is completely music to my ears. Yeah, you just explained it to me. <laughs> because I agree with you that this individualism is rooted in separation. And we say, I'm separate from you. I'm separate from nature. And then we separate that individuals into nationalism. And we say, America is separate from Europe. And England is separate from Europe. And, and uh, Africa is separate from Asia. And, and India is separate from China. And then blacks are separate from whites. And men are separate from women. So separation and division. So we need to overcome this division. And we need to say division is not division. Division is not divisive. Division is difference. And, and we will have difference. Uh, long live difference and long live uh, diversity. So let us transform this division into diversity. And diversity should be celebrated. It's wonderful to have many religions. If, if the whole world, seven billion people, were only following one religion, it would be boring. If seven billion people are speaking only one language, that'd be boring. It's just good to have many languages, many religions, many nationalities, many races, many colors, many cultures. Like in a music, you have thousands of notes, and those thousands of notes make music. So diversity should be celebrated. Evolution favors diversity. In the beginning of the Big Bang and beginning of the uh, time and beginning of the universe, uh, there was nothing. And then evolution had billions of years of hard work to create this diversity, millions and billions and trillions of forms of life. We should celebrate rather than um, turn this diversity into divisions and individualism and conflicts and wars and, and uh, superior and inferior and hierarchy. So, so this separation and disconnection and individualism and nationalism uh, has to be transformed into one earth one humanity, one future, but we are all different within that unity. So unity and diversity dancing together, that should be uh, the purpose. So we have to go beyond individualism and within oneself, we have to see, I am a microcosm of macrocosm. 
I am whole universe within myself. I am made of my ancestors. I'm made of the whole evolutionary process of billions of years. I'm a child of the whole universe. I'm a child of the stars. I'm child of the moon. I'm child of the sun. I'm child of the earth. So that kind of sense of unity of life when we have, then I think we can rise above this individualistic separation and disconnection and isolation and, and lose the sense of belonging. We belong to each other. We have to develop and cultivate a sense of belonging to each other. Hmm. This is, of course, deeply contrary to the culture of individualism that pervades currently. These ideas, Satish, did you first encounter them in Jainism? Were these ideas that you were taught from childhood? How did you first encounter them and how did you first understand them? Yes, yes, yes. Jainism gave me these fundamental ideas of unity of life, certainly. And particularly in Jain tradition, we um, uphold the value of nonviolence. Nonviolence to yourself, nonviolence to other people, and nonviolence to nature. So the unity of life and, and diversity emerging out of unity and manifesting into diversity and celebration of diversity, but seeing beyond that diversity into unity. That is the fundamental Jain principle of interdependence, interconnectedness, interrelatedness. We are all connected with each other and we breathe the same air and we drink the same water and we are all made of earth, air, fire, water. And we are all share the consciousness, the universal consciousness. So, so you are made of earth, air, fire, water and consciousness. I am made of earth, um, uh, air, fire, water, consciousness, animals, birds, trees, mountains, everything is made of earth, uh, fire, water, consciousness, earth, air, fire, water, consciousness, all these elements. So this is the Jain idea. So the whole universe and individual are totally interdependent, interconnected, interrelated, only connect. There is no separation. There is no division. This is the fundamental principle of Jain nonviolence. These ideas have been extracted from our cultural discourse, as you described earlier. The uh, means and ends have been somehow inverted, and we have become uh, servants to an ideology that we we, all, we have a kind of religious fundamentalism, an economic religious fundamentalism that we have ideas that are so entrenched that it's almost impossible to conceive a reality not governed by them the late um marxist thinker but he was a, a populist and a very beautiful english philosopher um, mark fisher said that it's easier to envisage the end of the world than the end of capitalism that capitalism had become so dominant in our psyche that we couldn't even begin to think of the kind of ideas that you were describing do you think that progressivism the sort of idea that sort of civilization is continually improving notably in the areas of medicine and technology prevents us from looking at our history traditions the wisdom of indigenous people and seeing the latent power that is there that could be uh, unlocked to help us harmonize and be free from this entrenched fundamentalism that we are currently enshrined by yes yes 
Uh, I mean, we are using technology, so technology has a place. But like I talked about the confusion between means and ends, um, about economy and humans, and economy and nature, and we have made uh, economy as the end, and nature and humans as the means, and that is the confusion, and we should turn that into humans and nature as the end, and, and economy as the means. I will apply the same idea and same principle vis-a-vis -vis technology. Technology should be a means and it should be in the hands of humans and not technology to control humans. At the moment, the way our society based in capitalism and, and individualism at the same time, using data, using algorithm just to make profit, to make more money, whether it's a Facebook, or whether it's um, Apple, or whether it's Amazon, or whether it is uh, um, Twitter, all the big, big um, uh, companies using this big technology. They are not using technology in the service of humanity. They are using humanity to make bigger and bigger profit. So, so the aims and the end and means are again confused there. So if the technology was in the hands of humans and, and not in the hands of just profit-making, big, centralized powers, then I think technology can be a servant and can be good means to communicate and good ends. But, uh, but at the moment, again, this is the uh, confusion of ends and means. Everything, technology, even education, has become a, a kind of a means to make profit uh, and make money and, and, uh, and develop industrialism. Education, such a noble idea such a wonderful necessary uh, need for every human being to learn but the knowledge has been turned into instrument of making money and profit and exploiting other people and exploiting the poor and exploiting the weak and exploiting the uh, the innocent and, and and through education the the most problems the world today are created and maintained by highly educated people they have been to yale and harvard and oxford and cambridge and big big universities and now they are running the world in a way that's creating climate change global warming environmental destruction social injustice wars conflicts um, all the problems we see who is managing those who is creating those problems not innocent patients of Africa or India, not innocent women and men, uh, working class people. It's the highly educated from Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, Yale, and other big, big universities of the world. So education has been same way like technology, turned into a means, a weapon to exploit a world, exploit people, exploit nature. So I would say it's the means and ends is the, the confusion. It's not the fault of education. It's not the fault of technology. It's the fault of our, what are our aims? What are we aiming? What is our goal? If the goal is human well-being and human integrity and, and a natural integrity and environmental protection, then we can use education. We, even medicine has been turned into a way of exploiting people. So these means and ends, uh, Russell, are the most important thing that we have forgotten. How do you think that then for there is um, an obligation to focus attention on changing the consciousness of the individuals in these positions of power? Or do you think that, that the, the objective is to achieve a kind of unity uh, among the people that are, ought be 
allies that are currently fractured and fragmented uh, and distracted by illusory difference and separation. And how, how do you, what do you suggest I should do about that? Ah, yes, big question. So the thing is that first of all, power, power should be decentralized. Political power, economic power should be more decentralized. Nature is decentralized. Nature works everywhere. The sun is decentralized everywhere. And, and the water is decentralized. And, and the forests are decentralized. There's no central authority ruling the natural world. But in our human world, we have centralized power in the Kremlin, the White House, uh, the 10 Downing Street, the, the Westminster, uh, the Whitehall, uh, and, and the uh, Wall Street, and, and the, the central banks. So centralization of economic power and political power is causing this big problem. And therefore, my um, first uh, um, uh, idea would be that make power more decentralized, economic power and political power, both and make small scale, small is beautiful principle should be applied in economics and in politics, small scale. And the large scale is more consciousness. The large mind, large heart, large vision and values, they are universal, music is universal, and, and art and, and craft, all these should be more kind of universal. But the controlling and ruling um, power and economic power and political power should be more dispersed, decentralized, and human scale and small scale. That way, we can use the power uh, for betterment of society and, and bring social justice, environmental justice, all those things by decentralizing power. Because I suppose, Satish, it is clear now that the impact of power on human individuals <laughs> is not a positive one, that human beings do not respond well to centralized power, either the governed or the governing, that power tends to inflate a kind of uh, sense of personal divinity rather than uh, shared divinity. While you were speaking, I was wondering how best to move forward with these ideas, whether it would be best to uh, stand for, not, I'm not speaking personally, but for somebody or for a group of people to, to stand on a platform at, 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 during a conventional electoral cycle of decentralization. If we get in, we will dismantle parliament. We will grant power to you. You will run your own communities. This would necessarily have to be run initially on a, 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 the biggest way it's conceivable would be on a national level because the international influence would be hugely opposed even when there's a sort of a moderately left-wing candidate such as bernie sanders or jeremy corbyn the focus uh, the international pressure the condemnation from the financial classes is uh, overwhelming so i can see how it would begin, particularly when you caveat it with, uh, as you did earlier, with the understanding that you know that it's not perfection that is that we are striving for, merely change, improvement, progress. No, there are two ways to do it. Uh, one is that somebody with that vision, like Mahatma Gandhi type of person, uh, who can come up with this idea that if you elect us, elect me and this particular party or something then we will decentralize power and give power back to people. And we will want 
every district uh, and every state of uh, province and every uh, kind of county to organize their own uh, political and economic system in their own way and have a more variety and more diversity and more uh, flexibility. So that would be wonderful. The other also at the same time way is people themselves taking power. And in every county, in every district, uh, in every area, people saying that we will organize our own health system, our own education system, our own agriculture, our own local economy. So we will manage ourselves. We will not depend on uh, centralized systems or centralized powers. So both way, you can, from bottom up, the grassroots level, uh, bottom up uh, movement is also very powerful. People's movement. Satish, to your uh, last point, I was going to say to you that as uh, it, these ideas of decentralization and localization that you are explaining, that in every one of those areas, you know, uh, decentralized agriculture, decentralized medicine, etc. In each of these areas, as these plans were implemented, the opposition you would face would be international conglomerations, pharmaceutical giants, technological giants. This is why there necessarily is a global aspect to this movement, even if it is at necessarily defined by the decentralization of power. For me, it sounds like a rather a beautiful political system in that it's running on a platform of handing power back. What better accountability could there be than... I do not want the power. I want you to have the power. And what a way to nullify opposition by saying that the people that oppose you are not opposing us. They're opposing you. They're saying you are not capable of running your communities. You are not capable. And of course, they need you to believe that because as long as you believe that, they have power. The minute you begin to believe, then their power is gone. I like this idea. You can say that there are different kinds of powers, political power, economic power, but also moral and spiritual power, and a power of public opinion. The real great power or real superpower is power of public opinion. And another superpower is power of moral, spiritual values. The power of the Buddha, power of Lao Tzu, power of Mahatma Gandhi, power of Jesus Christ, power of St. Francis, uh, power of Mother Teresa. Uh, there is a power which is a, a more, a more implicit and more subtle and more um, diffused, but still people have that feeling uh, of authority uh, and coming from that power. And then power of public opinion. The moment public opinion changes, and public starts to think differently, then uh, political power will change. Because in the end, if politicians see that um, people are not going to vote for what they are standing uh, for and, and what they are advocating, people are not going to vote for, then they have to change. In the same way, the industrial, industrial um, manufacturers and industrial um, uh, giants uh, around the world, the global uh, industry and global um, finance, if, People don't buy their goods. If people don't cooperate with them, then their power will diminish. So people, people power is greater than power of centralized government or centralized uh, uh, economic uh, uh, conglomerations um, in the world. And so I would say it's because of people cooperating 
supporting, participating in the political centralized system and, uh, and a centralized economic system and global conglomerations, then they exist. If people power and people opinion changes and people start to live differently and, and not buy and not cooperate and not participate in the system, then they will collapse. And so we should not underestimate the power of people's opinion, public opinion. That's a real superpower. And also we should not underestimate the superpower of the spiritual moral authority of the Buddha or, or St. Francis or, or Mahatma Gandhi or even a young woman like Greta Thunberg or David Attenborough or yourself. Um, we should not underestimate the power we have uh, because this is power we have to communicate and be what we are uh, saying, uh, embodiment of these values, and that will have power. So I have a very big picture of power, and I think the real power for me is power of the people. This is beautiful. Satish, you're a great man. Will you please explain to me a little more about uh, Mahatma Gandhi? My understanding was that at the time of the revolution and the end of British rule, it was his uh, hope that India would not simply replicate the systems of power and imperialism that had been imposed upon her, but would replace them with something closer to uh, anarcho-syndicalism, fully autonomous villages that were independently trading, craft-based economies. And, and even in the 1940s, he was talking about a sort of an infatuation with ga gadgetry, consumerism, object fetishization. Well, what more can we learn from Gandhi as an activist, but also as a sort of political and social visionary that could still be implemented today, please? Yes. Um, I would say that it's a bit of tragedy that India, after Mahatma Gandhi's assassination, did not follow the ideals upon which the independent movement was built. The movement for independence of India was built on more people power and not power of non-violence and, and a more decentralized power. But it's a tragic that the uh, government which followed uh, after uh, Mahatma Gandhi's assassination under the first prime minister and the Congress party and continued to centralize and, and, and kind of industrialize and think that progress and development means uh, more consumption, more production, more economic growth, and, and centralized power. So that's a great tragedy for India. And, and unfortunately, after independence, Mahatma Gandhi did not have any chance because within about six months, he was assassinated. He was taken away uh, from India. So India became vulnerable and, and went in the hands of people who were educated in the West, in Cambridge, Oxford, Moscow, Paris, uh, New York, um, and so on. And so those people took power and they copied the Western system of industrialism, consumerism, materialism, production, consumption, all that. So that's a great tragedy. However, within that superstructure of India and, and government, which is an uh, industry, which is the ruling India, underneath that, if you go to India, when I go to India, I know it, there are, I would say, tens of thousands of projects, villages, industry, local industry, village industry, crafts, arts, agriculture, tremendous grassroots movement still exist 
inspired by Mahatma Gandhi and his vision of more decentralized local human scale activities. And those are the real, I would say, examples of uh, Mahatma Gandhi's vision. And that still exists, but that's not in the news. That's not reported. Nobody enough know about it. They only know when they go to Mumbai and Delhi and Kolkata and big industry and big business. But there are still, I would say, uh, half a million villages in India where small scale industry, art, craft, agriculture, communities, local economy still thrives. So not all is lost. And I think Gandhi's time has not gone. Gandhi's time is coming. And the future is not industrial. Future is not um, uh, kind of centralized powers that we have today. This is maybe next 10, 15, 20, 50 years more. That's the, I can give life. After that, we have to wake up and we have to create a new system which is more in harmony with nature and more in harmony with the human spirit. At the moment, human spirit and nature had become a sideshow and a kind of second thought. And industry, commerce, money, economic growth, industry, uh, commercialization, all these things have become uh, high on the agenda. I think this is going to change because it's not going to bring any human happiness. It's not going to bring social justice. It's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to be regenerative. This, this is a linear economy that we have today. Take from nature, use it, throw it away on the waste and, and dustbin or landfill. This linear economy, nature is limited, finite resources. We cannot sustain this system for too long. And people are realizing it. So we have to create a Gandhian idea of cyclical economy, where things you take from nature, frugally, simply use them to the best of your ability and put it back in nature. And mm -hmm. then you will say nature has enough to give us. Nature is abundant as long as we don't waste and don't pollute. Nature has enough. You plant one seed in the ground, one apple seed, little tiny seed, a kind of uh, quarter inch seed. That one quarter inch seed in the soil gives you thousands upon thousands upon thousands of apples for 50 years. Abundance of nature. Nature is not mean, nature is generous, nature is abundant. But we humans have turned everything into scarcity by <laughs> wasting and by polluting and by, uh, by just throwing away. And so this is not sustainable. I think one, one way or the other, people have to wake up. And, and this coronavirus and COVID crisis is already a cry from the earth and a voice from the earth and voice asking humanity, the, how have you been treating me, the mm -hmm. earth? You have been on a path of conquering nature. You cannot conquer nature. You are nature. You humans are not separate from nature. This message has to come forward. And that's a Gandhian message. And so Gandhi's time has not gone. Gandhi's time is coming. All right. Thank you. That was amazing, Satish. Would you um, take us out with a prayer of some kind, please? That was so beautiful. Thank you. I would say uh, two prayers, one in Sanskrit and then one in, uh, translated into, uh, into English. Oh. Shanti Asato Ma Sadgamaya Tamasor Ma Jyotir Gamaya 
मृत्योर मा अमृतम गमय ओ शांति 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 लीड मी फ्रॉम डेथ टू लाइफ from falsehood to truth lead me from despair to hope from fear to trust lead me from hate to love from war to peace let peace fill our hearts our world our universe peace 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 thank you hmm. thank you very uh, nice yeah. to have this conversation with you thank you for your time and and we hope to meet face to face one day i'll come to there please come to devon we have a space, room for you to stay thank you in your devon and we have beautiful sea the atlantic and we go for walking along the coast path I will walk there with no money in your honor. Yes, okay. <laughs> That'll be great. <laughs> Thank you Satish. Thank you for your time and for your wisdom and for your grace. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Satish. Remember to support those various resurgence or oriented um things that we talked about at the beginning go to resurgence.org and have a look at the festival they're doing, the auction they're doing check it all out also look at my youtube channel if you're not looking at it already and sign up to the mailing list and follow me on social media remember that i love you remember that deep 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 down we're not alone we're connected to one another most of us one of us is a hermit crab alone somewhere dreadful that's under the skin from luminary mm. <laughs> leave that mm in <laughs> mm. <laughs> what do you mean mm? <laughs>